Hello, I'm your host, Dora Vandekamp. Welcome to the Biohack Your Beauty podcast, where we take a deep dive into the world of biohacking, spirituality, wealth, and self-development. Join me in exploring paths to health sovereignty, freedom, and ultimate well-being with the experts, teachers, and guides who are leading the revolution. Hello, beautiful ones. Welcome to a brand new season of Biohack Your Beauty. I am so happy to be back with powerful and expansive interviews that will absolutely knock your socks off. I have been quite busy in my own life. Lots of incredible things in my business, in my personal life. I will share a little bit of an update and then we can go on to this show. If you follow me on Instagram, you know I got engaged in October. So Drew and I have been planning our wedding, which has been really, really fun. Also quite a growing experience. If you've planned a wedding, you may know what I'm talking about. Who knew that there would be so much to do, so many decisions to make, and yeah, just really, uh, it's a whole different journey than I've ever been on. So I'm excited. We're going to have a beautiful church ceremony in uh, the summer of this year, and then a Chinese banquet afterwards. And Drew is Chinese American, so we want to really celebrate both of our cultures for our big day. Something else I'm really excited about is frequency medicine. I discovered a new biohack and it is one of the best and most powerful biohacks I have ever discovered for beauty and anti-aging as well as for emotional healing and shifting limiting beliefs. What is it called? It's called a Healy. So Healy is a wearable frequency device used to balance and support your body's bioenergetic field. Your body's frequencies are picked up by a quantum sensor, and the device can measure and analyze imbalances on a physical, mental, and emotional level, and then deliver specific frequencies to the body. So Healy delivers over 144,000 frequencies, which support pain relief, beauty, fitness, metabolism, sleep, learning, emotional and mental well-being, chakras, and meridians. It really is cutting-edge science and technology created by a group of conscious doctors, scientists, and engineers. It is also an incredible tool for manifestation. So for me, it has profoundly helped to shift and dissolve limiting beliefs in really powerful and fast ways. I'll be sharing more in an upcoming episode about that, but I really believe Healy is the next evolution of health as we know it. This small wearable device assists and protects your energetic field and rebalances the cell energy of every single cell in your body. I've provided a link to the store and if you have questions about this device, send me an email or a DM on Instagram and I would love to chat. All right, I'm so excited to bring you this new episode of this brand new season with the incredible Rachel Alaya. Rachel Alaya is an embodiment mentor, 
healing practitioner, and transformational coach for mothers and creative women. Engaging somatic literacy, nervous system practices, mindfulness, spiritual ministry, and shadow work, Rachel supports her clients to experience greater peace, pleasure, and vitality across all areas of their life. Today, we are talking about nervous system regulation. We're diving into the physical aspects of regulating the nervous system, as well as the spiritual aspects. We talk about how to change our coping mechanisms, taking steps to transform the nervous system, mental health, and how to orient ourselves towards self-love. This episode is absolutely beautiful, transformational, and so full of tools. I'm so excited to share it. On to the show. I love it here. I was actually born down here, um, but I grew up in the States, and both of my parents are from the United States, but I made my way back here about eight years ago. Uh, Actually, this week was my eight-year anniversary, and um, I planned to come and visit my parents at the time and like kind of figure out my next moves. I was living in South America prior, and then I met my now husband like a month later, so I I stayed, and life had other plans. Wow. (laughs) Oh, how amazing. I bet it's just so serene. Yeah. Yeah, I love it here. I mean, it's, you know, it's, uh, my parents are here too, which is great. And yeah, I can't really imagine like any other, any other life, to be honest. That's the best being somewhere and knowing that's like where you're supposed to be. We're looking for that place. It's, it's not where we're at right now at this time, (laughs) because we're in California. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, it's definitely an experience. We're in the Bay Area, so it's like okay. this center of so much going on. And yeah, I lived in Healdsburg for a long time. So okay, yeah, yeah. And so I you know. Barbell, so <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah. So you get it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wasn't. I wasn't always like feeling the way I do, and I definitely think that there are, um, you know, like threads that we get to follow that God places before us. And I've just kind of lived my life in the way that, um, I've allowed myself to kind of like step off into the unknown a lot of times and like trust that I was being guided somewhere Mm -hmm. and it's never made sense at the time, (laughs) but it's always like, you know, the faith that I've had in that process is always like paid off. So, wow. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I feel like it never makes sense at the time. No. And usually there's a lot of resistance and a lot of uh, crying and, and you know, that expansion is so uncomfortable. Totally. Yeah. But then when like later on, you're like, oh, yeah, that's why that happened. That's why I had to go there and, and do that. So totally. So it's amazing. All right, my love. So I'd love to just start with what led you to doing the work that you're doing now, this nourishing the nervous system work for mothers. Yeah, that's a really great question. And I had a an intuition that you were going to ask me that today. And I was sort of sitting with myself about it. And 
thinking about my journey to this point and reflecting on what brought me here. And I think any powerful teacher can say that the teachings themselves were something that they really needed during their journey. And I think that was definitely no exception for myself either. Um, I grew up as a dancer. My mom put me in dance classes when I was two years old and she was a dancer herself. And I think having an embodiment practice of some kind when I was a little girl um, was really life-saving to me. And I think that it, it gave me the foundational somatic awareness, in a sense, to be able to move through some really intense experiences in my younger years. But I ended up... Um, becoming a yoga teacher after getting a master's degree in education. And so I took a very different route than I anticipated. Um, when I was in graduate school in New York City, I found myself kind of knee deep in a mental health crisis. And the only thing that worked after being medicated with the highest dosage of Prozac that one can take at my sort of weight class, um, I found myself sort of religiously going to this yoga class every couple days. And it was the way that I sort of like kept myself at a certain degree of sanity. I felt like living in the city and being in an environment that I didn't feel was very conducive to my well-being. We'll just say that, right? And so I ended up um, going in the route of becoming a yoga teacher. And it was really interesting for me because it wasn't something that I had anticipated doing after spending so many years in school, studying and having like a, a plan and a path for my life. Um, I usually say, you know, you have plans and God always has plans for you that are quite different, you know? So before we started recording, I was explaining to you how my life has been this series of like stepping off into the unknown and, and trusting that I was being guided somewhere. And so uh, becoming a yoga teacher for me was really about learning how to... Um, be in my body more fully uh, and also work with other people um, in a really beautiful way. I started seeing a lot of parallels between my work, which was primarily working with children in the outdoors, but seeing the, the element of like our nature being intertwined with the natural world as reflected in like the yoga studio as well. So I started really seeing that like being in a deep relationship and embodied presence with the physical body allowed people that I was working with and myself to um, sort of like tune back into our innate sense of well-being, which I really see as like the home in our nervous system. 
um, which is a sense of vitality and connection and is something that we can always tap into, but it's often like that, that, that poem by Rumi often comes up for me around, you know, it's the experience. I'm of course, I'm going to butcher it, but it's something like the experience of love is like not to go out and seek it, but to remove the barriers that are in place that we've put up against Mm -hmm. experiencing love. And so really the, the place that I got to, um, was really profound for me to be able to start to like heal a lot of my own issues from early in life. Um, you know, early life experiences that we all kind of have many of us when we move through this life and, um, And then I became a mother unexpectedly and suddenly there were like even more layers that I was peeling back and even more, you know, embodied, implicit memories that I hadn't mm, ever touched into or processed. And so by necessity, really, I found that I had a lot more healing to do, um, And that's not to say that I was broken, but that, again, there were these barriers that I had built up within me um, that I found were preventing me from being the mother that I really knew I could be to my my child and now my children. Um, And also just, you know, to move through life with integrity, I found that I had to had to prioritize this work and it's interesting because I'm closing out facilitating this is the last week of a program that I'm facilitating for mamas called nurture Um, and it's about nervous system nourishment for mamas and today I flipped open my computer and Facebook and saw that I had written something a few years ago exactly the topic that we're working through that we were working through last week in the program around um, around healing and trauma and the nervous system, and particularly around how the body actually has a way of perceiving being isolated and alone as being unsafe. Mm. And in the post that I had read, it was, it it had struck me that, um, I had been listening to Peter Levine's audio book on healing trauma at the time. And he said something paraphrased to, to that extent, like the body interprets aloneness as unsafe. And at the time it struck me because I had sort of a flipped experience of that, right? That like, I actually had to work through a lot of like interpersonal issues that made me feel unsafe in relationship. Um, But so many of us on a deeper level, you know, our body actually evolved to be in community. And most mothers that I know these days don't live in a village, you know, they don't necessarily even have extended family that are supporting them. Um, And so many mothers, if not most mothers, especially in the United States, are trying to juggle and carry everything on 
by themselves, you know, and it's become really starkly apparent to me in doing this work and also by living through it that we weren't designed to mother in this way, right? And um, and so finding, yeah, finding myself really needing this work is really what guided me to, to diving face first really into my own healing journey and then of course alchemizing that and turning that into something that I can share with others you know is is a passion of mine so long-winded response to your question but (laughs) no it's beautiful and so many very powerful um, thoughts that came through even thinking of how that growth that we're doing as mothers. Well, I'm not a mother yet, but I hope to be someday soon is there is so much that we learn just becoming a mother just without all the other stuff, right? Like there is, it's such an initiation. And then on top of that is all of the other stuff, right? That our culture puts on top that our, um, you know, uh, relationships pile on and, and then we also have our careers these days. So there's so many things. Um, and that's not even everything, right? So it is, it's such a, it's such a big topic and there's so many layers to it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's powerful that you're doing this work because it is, it's so needed. And I think so many women, are struggling and they don't even know why they're going yeah. through that struggle. They feel like they're like, why can't I do it all? Why do I feel so helpless or so weak or so angry all the time? And mm-hmm. then the blame goes inward, right? And and that's so heartbreaking because like you said, it's not designed to be this way. No, and I think for me what's really important in my work too is reminding the women and in particular the mothers that I work with that their behavior, their patterns, their coping mechanisms make sense given the context of the lives that they find themselves leading and the cultural context in which we exist now, you know, I don't believe that there are any sort of maladaptive stress responses. They're all adaptive, you know, they're all, um, there's an intelligence that's present in every way that we show up. And so when we can first be able to like acknowledge that and name that and recognize the intelligence that is present there, I find that grace starts to fill the room in a different way because we realize or what what kind of starts to happen is that resistance or that shame towards ourselves and the way that we're showing up and having to deal, the ways that we're having to cope, the ways that we're, um, you know, finding finding ways to get our needs met. It, it makes sense, you know, and when that sensibility is present, then that softness can come in, that, that, that sort of unraveling of tension and holding and bracing 
in such a way where we can actually start to get into conversation with ourselves and say, okay, like I see that there's this intelligence here. I see that there's this, this um, adaptability that's already been at play. And so I can also see that there is possibility and I can get curious about what that is because curiosity is such a healing in terms of it being like this, um, this antidote to shame in many ways. Right? Like if I can get curious about the way that I'm showing up and if I can get curious about the way that I've adapted to get my needs met, if I can get curious about this strange sensation in my body and not run away from it and also not over-identify with it, then I, I, it's interesting. The way that I describe it is almost like when we build that embodied presence, there's so much less doing actually that needs to happen. And it's in the experience of being that that deeper intelligence starts to kind of resolve itself and insights start to reveal themselves too. So <laughs> the, the fact that so many women are struggling, you know, to me, like I said, makes a lot of sense. You know, like we're, we were, we've been sold this bill of goods that says, um, you know, you can have it all, you can do it all, but like, Hey, at what expense do we get to have it all and do it all? Well, apparently it's at the expense of our well being. Apparently it's at the expense of our sanity and our sense of, um, you know, okayness in many ways. And that, that breaks my heart a lot of times because who, who really end up suffering are our children in the end. And that is, that's almost like my deeper, deeper underlying motivation at the end of the day um, in working with mamas is like recognizing that the number one resilience factor for lifelong health and well-being is having a responsive caregiver as your parent or primary caregiver. You know, having someone who's caring and loving and present with you has a lifelong effect on your mental health, your physical health, all of the things, right? And so when I see it as almost this like, you know, primary preventative care for future generations to be able to offer this work to mamas, it's, it, it's why I do what I do as well. Powerful. And absolutely, the children are the ones who end up having to do the work then later on. And it is, it's heartbreaking because I think mothers are doing their best and they're doing their best, but they're not able to be that person because of all of the other factors going on. And you mentioned a few times embodiment and embodied presence. So can you talk about what is embodiment? What is what does it mean to have an embodied presence? 
Yeah, so that's a really great question. Um, at its very basic is our ability to like be with what's going on in the body at any given moment. And most of us, you know, it's easy to sort of context or like conceptualize that. It's easy to intellectualize that idea. But that's like at the level that most of us have learned to live within is like this live in our, our, our minds most of the time and be very disembodied um, for a number of reasons, whether it was, again, because being in the body was too uncomfortable or too painful at any given point in our lives, or whether it's because we exist in a cultural context that really like highly values the sort of mental experience and the productivity on the the intellectual level right and so the way that I describe it in my work to people is like if we're going through any sort of difficulty in our lives um, if we are passing through a chapter of challenge if we are finding ourselves sort of looped into certain patterns of, um, you know, difficulty, we can start to follow the thread of that experience down into the body and discover that it's, it's associated with an experience that's happening on a tangible physical level within the body. And so quite often... Um, healing work or you know sort of like mindset work is the primary focus for a lot of people and that's not to say that it's not effective I think it absolutely is but I think in particular for women um, what I've noticed in just working with myself and also working with others is when we can actually get down into the level of the body there is this really powerful bottom-up work that we can do um, that bridges the sort of seen and the unseen realms. So the nervous system I really see kind of as this bridge between the physical experience and the, the sort of immaterial, abstract, even spiritual experience. And the body um, holds all of the memories and all of the experiences that we have ever had directly or even indirectly through our ancestors, our parents, our way back peoples. And what's really fascinating is that, um, you know, I often, I often go back to this statement that was created or, or, or spoken by psychotherapist Deb Dana, whose work is grounded in polyvagal theory. She says, story follows state. And what that means basically is that like the dominant narrative that we're existing with in our lives, both individually and also collectively, is informed by the physiological state of our autonomic nervous system. And so the ways that we can reorient to our body 
and understand how the stories and the meaning and the narrative that we're existing within and we're creating and co-creating all the time are actually grounded and rooted in an experience in the body can give us the opportunity to use the body as a site for healing and to engage with the body in a way that, um, like I said, it's not so much necessarily we're having to impose ourselves on the body as like, oh, we have to like fix this or manipulate ourselves even subtly to make things better. But it's simply with our ability to be in the presence of, to meet ourselves there, um, that we can open ourselves up to a world of possibility that something can actually be different. And we can start to relate to our experience in a different way. And we can start to like decouple the stories that we hold from the physical felt experience that we have. And there's this really beautiful alchemy that, that can arise in that when we're able to be with an embodied experience without pushing it away and without grasping onto it for dear life. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, because they're both really prevalent and I think our stories are so tied to how we live our lives and, and like you said, how we feel in our bodies. And I think this extends to so many areas of our lives, whether it's mothering, whether it's being in relationship with our our partner, uh, being uh, a daughter, right. To our parents, um, sexuality. I mean, these stories that we have, Sometimes we're pushing them away. Sometimes we're holding on to them because it is the only way we know. It's actually funny because what it brings up for me is when I started dating my current partner, uh, he is so kind and just the gentlest human being. He's so lovely. And I never experienced that before. And so the first few months of our relationship, I was like, I don't know. this doesn't feel good to me. Something's wrong with him. I don't even know if this is going to work out because it didn't feel safe to me. It felt like something was wrong. Um, And that was my nervous system going, this doesn't feel safe. This is not what we're used to. The story is that he's supposed to be playing games and not texting you back and um, you know, treating you badly. This, this is wrong. So it's powerful stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's, there's so much to what you said, right? Because something I often say in the work that I do is that something can feel so real in our nervous system, but it doesn't actually mean it's true. And I think being able to develop embodied presence allows us to start to discern and sift through like, okay, this thing that I'm feeling is present, but it might not be actually grounded in the truth of the current situation and reality that I'm living within, right? And what you were describing is like your 
pattern was to orient towards, okay, but when's the next shoe going to drop? Like I have to prepare myself for when things are going to go bad because that's my expectation. But there's also this deeper hope within you that's like, oh no, but I really do yearn for connection and I really need to be in relationship with others. And that's a deep human need that we all have, right? And there's like this tension that occurs when our expectations don't match up with our hope and suddenly we're like in this strange internal battle of like, oh, but I really like love this person or I want to be in relationship with them, but, but part of me is expecting to be hurt or part of me is expecting to be betrayed or part of me is expecting for something bad to happen. And so your, your internal physiology is like bracing in many ways for that. And what I often guide women through when they come to those places of realizing how they're in this internal tension or they're noticing these patterns or they're becoming more cognizant of the stories that they're living within is, you know, we don't have to then, you know, figure out some, some mechanism or some protocol to get rid of that, you know, but what would it mean to, um, to presence that in such a way where I can see, again, the intelligence of that part of me that's like, I'm just trying to protect myself. And like, that's, there's beauty to that, you know? There's like beauty to the fact that my body has this survival uh, process that it's always, you know, it's always seeking life in a way, right? And yet, sort of hold myself in a place of accountability where I can say, okay, like, I know that my pattern is to orient towards the discomfort. And I know that my pattern is to orient towards like the even just the potential of discomfort. But what if I started to notice the parts of my embodied experience that are comfortable and pleasant and even pleasurable. And if those aren't even accessible to me, because for some of us they're not yet, and that's real, like where can I start to notice just even like a certain okayness that's kind of neutral? And it's not something that I have to like, okay, then I'm, I'm so suddenly bypassing the discomfort there. No, I'm just kind of sort of expanding the aperture of my awareness to start to see that there's like okayness that's always present that I can hold space for and I can start to like build new neural pathways to reorient towards those felt sensations in the body of okayness. And then suddenly my story about what I'm living in starts to kind of shift and take on a different tone and texture because I'm not just with my tunnel vision solely focused on what could go wrong. Suddenly I'm noticing, oh, there's actually like beauty here and abundance here that I wasn't even noticing before that's always been here, you know? And I don't have to turn away from you know, the, the discomfort that might be there, but I can actually create more capacity within myself to be with more of my human experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so many things come up when you say that because 
the first thing that, that came through is like, so many of us go, but my intuition says, right. Or my gut told me. And I think when we have been, um, programmed a certain way, or we have been through trauma, or we've been through experiences where we are just desperate to feel safe, then that becomes kind of confusing because my gut's telling me one thing, but maybe that's just a trauma response. Maybe that's just me making sure that I'm not in danger. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the kind of fine line that we have to walk too, because you, and you like see on Instagram and like, you know, all these like new agey healing circles where it's like, trust your gut, like trust your intuition. And I'm like, yeah, but also (laughs) it's a little more complex than that. It's a little more nuanced. And so it requires us to develop like a certain accountability with ourselves and deep inner knowing of ourself to the extent that we're not just falling back on that narrative or that that's that uh storyline that says like oh but i need to follow my gut like my this isn't resonating with me or this is you know this must be like a sign right and it's like okay but wait wait a second like pump the brakes take a breath slow down a little bit and start to feel into your body and tell me what what are you feeling like tell me the quality and texture of exactly the raw physical sensation that you're moving through yes your mind's going to start to tell you lots of stories but what's actually going on in the body and a lot of us don't even have the vocabulary to start to even like express or verbalize what that is so like part of my work is also teaching women the language of the body to start to say like okay there's a heaviness in my throat and there's a tightness in my gut and there's like a lightness in the tops of my shoulders and there's a buzzing in my hands right rather than just like I feel okay or I feel good or I feel bad you know (laughs) Like the stress response, part of it's um, like it's metabolically efficient to make things very black and white. So it's I'm either feeling good or I'm feeling bad, right? It's either you're with me or you're against me. There's this very like stark this or that, right or wrong, all or nothing, right? And so to develop the capacity to hold nuance and to say, huh, suddenly I'm able to sit with the both and a little bit more, just a little bit, right? And what starts to become clearer to me is that the things that I've taken for granted as being as such, like it's this or it's that, it's, you know, it's clear cut to me what I believe is suddenly up for question a little bit and the (laughs) the challenge with that is that most people well I don't want to generalize but many people don't necessarily have the nervous system resilience and capacity to sit with the dissonance of okay well if that thing that I thought was true isn't true 
who am I? Mm -hmm. Right? And if they don't necessarily have the people around them supporting them, if they don't necessarily have uh, the resources and the access to things that help them to feel safe and um, stable, then they're never going to let themselves go there. It's always going to be, well, no, that's, that's the way things are, right? <laughs> and so, you know, I found myself in conversation with a friend of mine who were about to launch a, a membership community for mamas next month. And we've been developing this for almost a year now and spending a lot of the year just in deep conversation about a lot of these topics, like sort of guiding ourselves and holding ourselves through many of these inquiries. And, you know, her and I came to this realization together of the fact that being able to come to a place where we can let ourselves be without needing to prove what we know or convince anyone else or, um, you know, sit in a place of being dogmatic, even just with ourselves about things, right? It, it's, it's a really fascinating thing to notice when, um, when you get there because suddenly you're like, you're like liberated in a way, you know, you're liberated from all those stories that have kept you in just a very, um, very limited way of, of being. Yeah. You know? And I think in the, the collective sphere and culture that we're living in right now, that's, kind of exceptional in many ways mm -hmm. you know and it's it's refreshing to me when I encounter people who are able to hold nuance like that and I know that that's in direct correlation with all of this nervous system work you know mm -hmm. yeah 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 it's it is so it's so powerful to be living in this time because I think we have the opportunity to be more free than ever in so many ways. And yet freedom is really scary for people. Um, there's this book um, that I read pretty long time ago. It's called Pedagogy of the Oppressed. And he talks about the fear of freedom, right? Like we have this fear of freedom because with freedom comes responsibility. And yeah. then you have to figure out what to do and who to be and, and how to learn and what to learn. And uh, it's freaking scary for people. And even with money, right? Like talking about financial freedom, I think in this concept of financial freedom sounds really seductive to people and it sounds amazing. And I dream of that, but the actual cutting yourself off from this quote unquote safety net, right? Of what we've been taught is the safe way to do things. It's really scary for people. Yeah. And also opting out as a mom, right? Opting out of this consciousness that you have to do everything and be everything. And that's the only way you're worthy of love from your partner, of love from your child, of love from society. And saying, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be free and be me. And 
if that means that people don't understand me, oh, well, that's really freaking scary. Totally. Absolutely. And I, you know, I'm right there with you in many ways. Like I, I've been, I've been scrolling a little bit through some of my old posts and finding messages that are so potent and relevant for me right now of like messages basically of it's okay for you to be different. Like it's okay for you to go your own way. It's okay for you to um, dissent and it's okay for you to like not do the thing that you've always been expected to do. And what's scary for a lot of us in terms of that, like I mentioned before, is our evolutionary need to be part of like a tribe and a community because that is how we get our needs met. We need each other. We're not just like living in a vacuum, right? And as I mentioned before, like the current day and age where everything's really black and white, it's either you're with me or you're against me. There's no space for coexisting in a community where you have a diversity of thought and belief and so this has been a big conversation like even in the program that I'm leading right now and even just in my own personal life is like well what happens when you find yourself in community with people that you're in conflict with you know what happens when you find yourself where you have neighbors that you have really different worldviews with or really like different ways of of being you know and in the sort of cultural context for many of us these days is like oh well I can't be in community with that person you know that's not someone I want to be in relationship with and it's like well you know do you really get to decide that? Yeah. (laughs) Like being in community with people doesn't mean you're always, it's not a club. It's not a cult. It's not like everyone's going to jive with you. Right. And so how do we learn to coexist and have different opinions, have different viewpoints, have different beliefs? Well, it takes some serious nervous system capacity in many ways because you your state of being is not threatened by the existence of alternate ways of looking at things and alternate ways of being, right? And you can stand solidly knowing that, you know, you're actually okay. And other people can, you can coexist with other people who have different experiences, right? And it doesn't threaten your way of being. Mm -hmm. And in many ways you see like when you start to understand the nervous system and how human beings respond to stress you start to see these like macro stories and narratives happening where you're like wow this is like a collective fight response you know or this is a collective fawn response or a collective freeze response and you can track these types of things and you're like okay like now i see just how important it is that we're all stepping up and taking responsibility, right? And I love the invitation that you brought forward around freedom because what first jumped into my mind when you when you were talking about that topic and you bring forth the pedagogy of the oppressed, right? Like I studied education, as I mentioned before. And I can remember it was the senior year of my undergraduate 
it was like the flat one of my final classes I took and it was an education class full of student like undergrads who were planning to be teachers and my professor um, was a former student of the late Krishnamurti who, if anyone isn't familiar, he was a, a really brilliant, well-known philosopher from the 20th century. And I remember we get to like the last couple weeks of class and um, my professor, you know, he comes in front of us as, as this group of, I don't know, there's probably 20-something of us in the class. And he says, okay, for your final project... You're to do something and create something that shows me what you learned. Go. And everyone kind of like looks around the room. I swear you could hear a pin drop. Because everyone's, everyone's like waiting for more information, guidance, like protocols. Like tell me what to do. Like where's the syllabus? Like what are you going to grade me on? Like you need to give me more info. You know, everyone was kind of like, all of a sudden super stressed that they were given all this freedom to express themselves creatively, to show the teacher what they had learned, right? And in the end, it was really cool to see what people came up with. And yet it was so fascinating to watch the response of the students because everyone from the day that they got into school when they're five years old to now being like 21, 22 years old about to graduate and they're like suddenly given the freedom to creatively express themselves and they don't really know what that means. <laughs> like they kind of freeze and tense up and get anxious because suddenly they're not being told what to do. They're not being told who they are and what's allowed and what's permitted. And like, that's really frightening for a lot of us. And so initially there was this kind of like chaotic, like, well, what do you mean? Like you have to give us more, more limitations, right? And more guidance and um, like I said, in the end, it was really cool to see, like some people came up and did performances and some people created artwork and some people wrote things. And, um, I think my, my project was, I created sort of one of those like trifold cardboard science experiment things, but I created this whole like collage art piece and the theme for my project was um tiny boxes right like at the time there was that really popular show on I think it was on um I don't remember what what channel it was on but it was called weeds right and oh, yeah yeah it was so like, I think HBO or something like that yeah it was HBO something like that and the the theme song was you know, tiny boxes on the hillside, little boxes made of ticky tacky, little boxes on the hillside, little boxes all the same. There's a green one and a pink one and a blue one and a yellow one, but they're all made out of ticky tacky and they all look just the same. Right? So I came up and I sang the song and I did my whole like tiny boxes thing because a lot of that particular class was teaching us how do we interact with our students, not put them in these boxes, right? Like not just 
pump out factory workers, which was, if we're honest, exactly why the education system was created the way that it was. It doesn't create critical thinkers. It doesn't create creative minds. It creates uniformity. It, it squashes creativity and, you, and, and you know, everyone's unique expression. And so it was really beautiful to see people's unique expressions come through that project. And yet, like I said, initially there was this fear that was palpable in the room of like, oh God, like what, what does this even mean? You know, and how do I show up like this? And what does it mean to create space for myself to express in this way and like be exposed in this way, you know, as I, as I offer myself in the space and not be confined by the usual, you know, ticky tacky boxes. And so when we do step out of those boxes and decide to step into freedom, what is one thing we can take away with us besides all of the other amazing gifts you've given us in this interview? As we feel our nervous system freaking out um, and feeling scared, what can we do to keep stepping into freedom? Well, something that I um, really feel compelled to include in my work is a spiritual component. And as I mentioned before, the nervous system I really see as like bridging the seen and the unseen. It's, it's um, this really interesting thing to consider where, you know, the earth is magnetic and the sun is electric and we are these electromagnetic beings like bridging the two and what I like to remind the women that I work with and the work that I do with myself is actually the greatest co-regulating factor that I have found is having a relationship with our creator and I call, I call it God. And having a relationship with God and sourcing and resourcing our deepest sense of self and identity from that and not from the ever-fluctuating, ever-changing experience in the body. Because that's always going to change. That's the nature of the body. That's the nature of physical reality and if we get so caught up on who we are as a snapshot in time of that ever-changing reality we're always going to be thrown around by life always because we're never going to be who we were yesterday or who we expect to be tomorrow and so my single you know, most important thing that I, that I hold in my life and the relationship that's most important to me is my relationship with God. And the reason being is when I can maintain that connection, when I can prioritize that in my life, everything else just kind of falls into place. 
And everything else can be a total, you know, mess. Everything else can be up for grabs, in the air. Like, as I jumped on this call with you, it's like I'm always dancing in this space of organized chaos with my kids and my animals and, you know, everything going on. Um, And yet, my life is my prayer, you know? And when I can ground into that and know that that's always there, then, you know, come what may, I can show up and I can just do the next step close in. And I know that I have the faith and the capacity to do that, right? There's, um, there's a poet named David White who, when I was pregnant with my, my oldest, I would put my earphones every morning and listen to David White on audiobook I think it was and I would take these long walks in the morning alongside the ocean when we still lived in the city and I would you know like I was quite hormonal so I remember like a lot of it it was me just crying because I was so moved by his poetry and his words and I found myself coming back to this poem a lot that was about, you know, taking the next step close in and not needing to worry about the fifth step or the hundredth step, but letting my focus just be on the next footfall and letting that be enough, right? And letting that conversation sort of take up the space that it needs to take up. And I think that, you know, coming back to this reoccurring theme in our conversation of like not needing to do it all. Like often I find in nervous system work is, yes, there's an, an element of like, what are we doing to, um, to increase our capacity and what are we doing to like support ourselves and nourish ourselves? But part of that is like, what are we not going to do anymore? <laughs> like, what are we going to put aside? What are we going to set down? What are we going to let go of? And that's almost more important, right? And what I find is when I prioritize my relationship with God, my values get really clear, my priorities become really clear, and my ability to say no to things that aren't in alignment with that becomes a lot easier. Even when I disappoint people, even when I'm like, okay, I'm not sure how, like, People are going to perceive me if I let go of this thing or put this thing down, right? It's like, okay, this is, this is my priority. This is my values. And I'm in integrity with myself by doing that. Oh, here's my son. <laughs> okay, we're back. <laughs> Mommy stuff. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so... Uh, We have three questions we ask all of our guests on the Biohack Your Beauty podcast. You okay? Um, And the first one is, what is your definition of beauty? Mm. That's a really great question. And it's a question I've been actually sitting with a lot these last few weeks. Um, I would say that beauty is my reason for living in many ways. I find that it is the reason that I was born was to create beauty and to orient towards beauty. And as a woman, I find that this is really 
um, even like part of my almost like biological imperative is in being created in God's image is to create beauty around me and within me. And so I would say that um, care is the generative force of this universe. Beauty is like the fuel that drives that. And so it's, it's not this sort of superficial, like, surface layer um, facade that I see. It's been most likely presented to me throughout my life, but it is like the thread that weaves me within all of existence. What is your favorite inner or outer beauty tip for our listeners? Mm, I would say inner and outer. Goodness, I feel like I'm going to be a, a, a broken record again, but I think... Um, Allowing ourselves to to prioritize a relationship with spirit and with God, I would say, is, is top beauty tip, really. Because, like I said, when you allow that to guide your life, like everything kind of falls into place. And um, when you're resourced from source directly then the beauty comes through you as a, as as you form like the channel or the conduit for that and so it's less a matter of like forcing or manipulating or like having things to be such and and so but it's really a matter of allowing um god's grace to move through you mm. And where can people find you? Oh, okay. Well, physically, I live an hour south of Puerto Vallarta in Mexico. Um, I am in the very early stages of creating a beautiful land-based project here with my family um, where we'll, we will hopefully in the next couple years have a place for our community to come and learn and uh, explore um, a lot of you know what we've been talking about here today but essentially the idea being that we're creating a bit of a living laboratory for the emerging paradigm um, and finding ways to both support the local community that we live in here, the rural community, um, as well as inviting folks from beyond to come and land here and be nourished by the land here and give back um, in the little ways that they're gifted to be able to do that. Um, I also do work online, and I have been for, goodness, nearly eight years now um, in some variety or form. Uh, and right now my work is primarily geared towards nervous system care uh, with creative women, with mothers, and 
Instagram mostly. Um, on social media, you can find me at rachel.alaya, R-A-C-H-A-E-L dot A-L-A-I-A. Um, and I have some, um, you know, ideas percolating about creating finally my first book in the next year. And then also, um, I'm like dabble in podcasting, but I'm hoping to create something that's a little bit more solid in the form of a short form, like YouTube channel, possibly. So stay tuned for that if it sounds like it speaks to you. Um, I also have, a, like I said, a membership community that's going to be launched here in November. That'll be open for enrollment seasonally. So we'll be open at the end of November for that enrollment. And then again in February and then again in, I believe, May. So um, yeah, if if the conversation speaks to you, definitely reach out. I love connecting with people one-on-one -on -one and um, yeah, I'm really feeling nourished by this conversation. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you for being here and sharing so much wisdom and beauty and love with everyone. Mm. Likewise. Thank you.